0: This podcast is an examination of that research. You can find more about this research and other topics on the website william branhamorg Join us as we turn back the pages of time and examine the controversial issues of William Branham and his message.
1: I've seen many who are watching the large number of people who have stood up for Christ and will no longer stand for false teaching. And these people watching are curious, but they're also trained to focus on the outward appearance and the superficial things, rather than the change that happens in the heart whenever Christ sets you free. It's exciting, really. Over the past year and a half since Seek You the Truth started, I've watched people come out wounded and bleeding from the cuts and the bruises on their hands and feet, from the chains that once had them bound. There's almost no example in life that can be used to describe this transition from slavery into freedom. Many who describe this change in a person fleeing a cult will use the word slavery as their example, how that for so long they carried a ball and a chain, and they described how they dragged along this heavy ball, carrying around the weight of that ball that's forbidding them to move around freely. Then when Christ sets them free, they're, now they're able to move. They're able to run instead of struggling just to walk with even that, carrying that heavy ball behind them. Others use the example of prisoners of war. Trapped into a dark dungeon. How that the people were confined to a single group of people. Not able to fellowship with those outside of those four walls. Forced to enjoy the darkness. And not accustomed to the light. Then when they're set free, the light is almost blinding. While they transition and become accustomed to the sun. But none of these fit the cult of William Branham, really. We were not prisoners of war nor were we slaves by any other man. We were slaves by our own desire. Nothing kept us from leaving the cult outside of this initial fear that we must believe something besides the work that Jesus Christ did on the cross for us. The cross was not enough. That's why the people that's outside of our cell, in the sunlight, we thought were dying. And... I spent countless hours pointing out the many lies that William Branham told, from his own story of his conversion to Christ, to the prophecies and the spiritual events, to his own childhood, right down to his own birth date. And while I I talk about these things, many of us did not believe some of the things that we already knew to be false. We knew that men had the same number of ribs as a woman. Regardless of Branham's story, trying to tie this to the Garden of Eden and how the the seed of the serpent had changed things. Some of us were medical students. Some of us had seen x-rays inside the bodies. These things we simply counted towards his lack of education, which is now also in question. When William Branham claimed to have prophesied that a woman would be president and then he claimed that that prophecy was fulfilled in president kennedy many of us knew that that couldn't be true not because kennedy was just a man which should have been obvious to everyone but because branham continued to promote the coming event even after promoting it was already completed that fulfillment pretty much ended with the death of President Kennedy. We actually have Lee Harvey Oswald to thank for eliminating one of the cult's false teachings. I've thought long and hard about how best to describe those that were trapped in this cult, especially the ones like me who were born into it, not joining into a cult by our own desire or our own choice. We were Christians. We believe the Bible. Some of us even read the Bible. We knew the scriptures. We knew that something else was added to it. Like the books of Mormon, we had Branham's teaching in addition to the Word of God. The parts in the Bible, the parts that the Bible did not tell us, we could simply look in the book of Branham to find the parts that were written in between the lines so i don't want to use the example of prison camps the term is very negative and it's degrading to the christian people who are still trapped inside of this cult it's not helpful it doesn't describe the christian being set free so much as it points a finger of accusation against the many who have still not yet awakened nor do i want to use the example of slavery while i I lived in the south of the united states It was a place where slavery was and still remains a big issue. Slavery takes the owners and it makes them high and mighty, while making the slaves lowly and illiterate. And while many of us have been told now that exposing Branham's lies is very much like this underground railroad during the days of slavery, I don't consider the people being set free as uneducated or illiterate. In fact, most of the people that I've spoken with, the vast majority, do read their Bibles. Moreover, in my own personal experience, it seems that only the ones who study and believe their Bibles are the ones who can be awakened. These are the people that have put their faith in God's Word above any other man, sinner, saint, prophet, or pope. The ones who are illiterate in the Bible are usually the ones that place Branham as their absolute, not the Word of God. They're the ones that lift up Branham into a replacement for Jesus Christ. I had one man last night try to start a private argument with me, which I avoid. His argument in defense of this failed prophet was that to speak against the Son of Man is Antichrist. Branham is not the son of man. Branham was not God made flesh and walking among us. God does not speak lies. God cannot have failed prophecy because he is the future. Just as he is right now, God is eternal. He's not limited to our time and space as mortals. If I were to use the word or the term slaves, it might actually fit for these people. Because they truly are slaves. Unless God can work some miracle in their lives, they will never awaken. It's not their faith that's placed in God. Their faith is placed in a man. But for those who have been set free, this term doesn't really apply. For me, the best example that fits is a very simple one. It doesn't have the emotional ties to a prison camp. And it doesn't have the long history trail behind slavery. Sometimes the best examples that you find are the most basic, elementary, simple examples. The gospel of Jesus Christ is simple. The children of Israel asked Moses to go and to ask God what they could do to be saved. And Moses came down with the Mosaic Law. Time after time, example after example. The Bible shows how weak the human race actually is. Mankind could not save themselves by their own actions. They failed every single time. Mankind needed a Savior. The law came with a penalty, and that penalty was death. We were destined to die. God loved us so much that He sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to die in our place. He lived the perfect life, something that we could never do. He suffered and He died on the cross for our salvation, paying the penalty so that we did not have to. He conquered death, hell, and the grave, and then He rose again so that we can rise with Him. And all who believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God, is granted grace, unmerited favor, to be heirs to the kingdom of heaven. Most cult pastors today do not want to preach a simple thing. Their sermons are filled with men falling off of bridges and bears and bright lights and signs and wonders. The God who gives the gospel in simplicity is no longer exciting to them. The people have been programmed to seek out mysteries and are no longer eager to sit in a sermon with the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. But sometimes, simplicity is the very best thing that you can give your congregations. Many of us that have left the cult are no different than before. We were always Christians. We always put God first, family second, everything else third. We believed in Christ. We believe in Christ and accepted the work that Christ did on the cross for us. We were bound. We were bound and blinded. But we were tied with something that constricted us, not just held us. We were like coiled springs. When our small bindings of fear were taken off, the springs shot up like rockets, blasting to the moon. We are the same springs as before, just more excited about Christ. We no longer sit in pews, counting the ceiling tiles, and then enter our work week without telling others. We want to tell everyone that Christ came to save. This is the most exciting times of our lives. We're actually watching as an assembly line of springs are taken off the shelves, and they're carefully removing that little pr- plastic strap that has them coiled. It's like fireworks going off. Spring shooting in many cities of many states or regions in every single country around the world. The greatest fireworks display of all time. Some people do not realize the connection between Malachi 4 and the rest of the scriptures. Especially those who have been programmed the most. Malachi 4 is for our day. Make no mistake. Remember the idol that Daniel saw in Daniel 2 which was Babylon, the other kingdom. The idol was not simply set in one single generation. King Nebuchadnezzar was just the head, remember? Each section of that idol's body represented another kingdom, down through time, from the head down to the feet. It was a slice of time. Each section representing an age. And the kingdom of heaven is much the same. While the idol that Daniel saw in Nebuchadnezzar's dream represented Babylon, the kingdom of heaven is the kingdom of God. Christ was the head, not Nebuchadnezzar. And the work that Christ did on the cross was the foundation, the cornerstone to that kingdom. John the Baptist came proclaiming, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And many think that this was just some failed prophecy because they try to limit God to our time and our space. But Christ was just the head of the kingdom. We are the body. Malachi 4 tells of the coming kingdom and tells us about the coiled springs. The arrogant Pharisees were no match for the truth that Christ gave to the early Christians. The coiled springs for their time. Those who followed Christ were also the same spring that they were bound by the extra-biblical teaching of the scribes and the Pharisees. They believed in God, but they had taken all of these extra things that had bound their springs into very tight coils. They were broken. They were bruised. They were wounded, just like we were. They needed healing. Christ came and the evildoers were stubble under his feet. He was the son of righteousness, and he came with that healing under his wings for those coiled springs. He did not tread down the wicked, though. He was the perfect example of what a pastor should be. A pastor does not keep their springs coiled sitting in the pews. He nourishes them back to health so that they can stand up for themselves. The people are not supposed to look to the pastor as their Savior. They're to look to Jesus Christ. The house of prayer should be called the house of the sick. And the pastor should be the doctor that's giving the medicine so that the people can uncoil. Listen to the example that Malachi gives of the coiled springs when the kingdom of heaven was established. He said, You will go out like leaping, ...like calves from the stall. And you'll tread down the wicked... ...for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet... ...on the day when I act... ...says the Lord of hosts. Malachi 4. These calves of the stall... ...were coiled springs. When the gate is open... ...they go out leaping and bouncing... ...from being coiled. And this is happening today. This was happening in the days of Jesus Christ. This will continue to happen... ...all throughout the kingdom of heaven... From the body of Christ until Christ returns to sit on the throne of his kingdom. And until he returns, we will tread down the wicked, but not with battle armor and with sword, but armed with the word of God. We should be excited to be uncoiled, bouncing around, telling others the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should be set on fire for God. Unable to rest until the whole world knows that Jesus Christ died for our sin. We should be excited to speak to those in Islam. Let them know that Christ set them free from the law of death. Not afraid of them just simply because they don't know. Listen to the excitement of the first calves of the stall. The first coiled springs that eagerly went out to tell others about Jesus. It's in Luke 10. The Lord appointed seventy-two others, and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and every place where he himself was about to go. And he said unto them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly that the Lord God of the harvest will send out laborers into his harvest. Not some little bride that separates themselves from the body of Christ. The body is the kingdom of heaven. The harvest is plentiful. There are only a few of us. We have to tell as many people as we can. It goes on to say, go your way. Behold, I'm sending you as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. In other words, don't worry about money. Don't set up some multi-million dollar foundation and beg the people to send you money so that you can drive around in some big bus on your vacations. I'll take care of you. I'll give you what you need. Whenever you enter the house, first say, Peace be unto this house. And if a son of peace be there, listen to that, if a son of peace be there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you. But listen to this. And remain in that same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Do not collect other wages. In other words, don't do as your instincts tell you to do when you enter a house that does not believe Christ. Do as I tell you to do. Go in peace, not in anger. Go in love, not in hate. And when they don't believe you, don't condemn them. Be gentle, be kind, be loving towards them. Stay in the same house. It says, whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick in it and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near you. The body of Christ has come near you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, Even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this that it will be that the kingdom of God has come near. It will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Just like Malachi 4 prophesied, they will be ashes under your feet. They'll be like Sodom, burned to a small pile of salt. But notice that first part. Eat what is set before you. This is a direct conflict with the Mosaic Law. They were not to eat food sacrificed to idols. Yet they were entering into cities that served other gods. Christ knew that the law had failed and he was establishing a new covenant an everlasting covenant with the people. And the food was an outward expression, not an inward change. It love, not law. When the 72 returned, their expression was much like the coiled springs that we see today that have been bound by the cult of William Branham. They were so excited The first time that they told another person that they no longer need to believe in a false prophet to be a Christian. Christ is all we need to believe. And the 72 were just this excited. The 72, it says, returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said unto them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Don't stand in some building and say, I take every spirit in here under my control so that they worship you instead of me. Be excited that the demons flee, but give glory to the one who deserves all praise. The kingdom of heaven is established. We are the body of Christ that binds it all together. We're not to sever the body from other Christians, cutting off our hand just because we think that we're better than the foot. Christ is the head. We should be honored to be any part of his body. And when the kingdom has fully come, when Christ returns to call us away to be with him, we will stand up proudly to say that we supported the other members of the body. We will never stand if we sever ourselves from that body. I don't know about you, but I'm actually glad to have been a spring that was once coiled.